Chapter 8 One cool, rainy morning a few weeks later, Luke's family left in such a rush they barely had time to say goodbye. They doused out the door after breakfast. Matthew and Mark complaining about their packed lunches, Dad calling back, I'm going to that auction up at Chittlesville. Won't be home until supper. Mother hurried back and handed Luke a bag of cracklings and three pears and some biscuits from the night before. She muttered, so you won't get hungry, and gave him a quick kiss on the head. Then she was gone too. Luke peeked around the stairway door, surveying the chaos of dirty pans and crumb-covered plates left in the kitchen. He knew not to look out out as far as the window, but he did anyway. His heart gave a strange jump when he saw the window was covered. Someone must have pulled the shade the night before to keep the kitchen warm and then forgotten to raise it in the morning. Luke dared to lean out a little further. Yes, the shade was down on the other window, too. For the first time in almost six months, he could step out into the kitchen and not worry about being seen. He could run, skip, jump, dance even, on the vast linoleum without fear. He could clean up the kitchen and would surprise Mother. He could do anything. He put his right foot out, tentatively, not quite daring to pull his, put his full weight on it. The floor squeaked. He froze. Nothing happened, but he retreated anyway. He went back to the stairs, crawled along the second floor hallway to avoid the windows, then climbed the stairs to the attic. He was so disgusted with himself he could taste it. I am a coward. I am a chicken. I deserve to be locked away in the attic forever, ran through his head. No, no, he countered himself. I'm cautious. I'm making a plan. He climbed up onto the stool on top of the trunk that served as his perch for watching out the back fence. The neighborhood behind his house was fully occupied now. He knew all the families and had come up with names for most of them. The big car family had four expensive cars sitting in their driveway. The gold family had all all had hair the color of sunshine. The bird-brained family had set a row of 30 birdhouses along their backyard fence, even though Luke could have told him it was pointless to do that until spring. The house he could see the best, right behind the gardener's backyard, was occupied by the sports family. Two teenage boys lived there, and their deck overflowed with soccer balls, baseball bats, tennis rackets, basketballs, hockey sticks, and apparatus from games Luke could only guess at. Today he wasn't interested in games. He was interested in seeing the families leave. He had noticed before that all of the houses were empty by nine in the morning, with kids off to school and grown-ups off to work. Three of the f- or four of the women didn't seem to have jobs, but they left too, returning late in the afternoon with shopping bags. Today he just had to make sure no one was staying home sick. The Gold family left first, two blonde heads in one car, two blonde heads in another. The sports family was next, the boys carrying football pads and helmets, their mother teetering on high heels. Then there was a flurry of cars streaming from every driveway onto the still sparkling new streets. Luke counted each person, keeping track so carefully that he made scratches on the wall and counted the scratches twice again at the end. Yes, 28 people gone. He was safe. Luke scrambled down from his chair, his head spinning with plans. First, he'd clean up the kitchen. Then he'd start some bread for supper. 
He'd never made bread before, but he'd watched Mother a million times. Then maybe he could pull the shades in the rest of the house and clean it thoroughly. He couldn't vacuum. That'd be too loud. But he could dust and scrub and polish. Mother would be so pleased. Then in the afternoon, before Matthew or Mark or the kids in the neighborhood got back, he could put something on for supper. Maybe potato soup. Why, he could do this every day. He'd never considered housework or cooking particularly thrilling before. Matthew and Mark always scoffed at it as women's work. But it was better than nothing. And maybe, just maybe, if this worked, he could convince Dad to let him sneak out to the barn and help there too. Luke was so excited he stepped into the kitchen without a second thought this time. Who cared if the floor creaked? No one was there to hear it. He gathered up dishes from the table and piled them in the sink, scrubbing everything with extraordinary zeal. He measured out lard and flour and milk and yeast and was putting it all in the bowl when it occurred to him it might be okay to turn on the radio very softly. Nobody'd hear, and if they did... They just figured the family had forgotten to turn it off, just as they had forgotten to raise the shades. The bread was in the oven, and Luke was picking up lint by hand from the living room rug, living room rug when he heard tires on the gravel driveway. It was two o'clock in the afternoon, too early for the school bus or mother or dad. Luke sprinted for the stairs, hoping whoever it was would just go away. No luck. He heard the side door creaking open. Then Dad exclaiming, What the? He was back early. That shouldn't matter. But hiding on the staircase, Luke suddenly felt like the radio was as loud as an entire orchestra, like the smell of baking bread could fill three counties. Luke! Dad yelled. Luke heard his father's hand on the doorknob. He opened the door. I was just trying to help, Luke blubbered. I was safe. You left the shades down, so I thought it was okay. And I made sure everyone was gone from the neighborhood and... Dad glared. You can't be sure, he snapped. People like that, they get deliveries all the time. They get sick and come home from work. They have maids come during the day. Luke could have protested. No, the maids never come before the kids get home from school. But he didn't want to give himself away any more than he already had. The shades were down, he said. I didn't turn on a single light. Even if there were a thousand people back there, nobody would know I was here. Please, I've just got to do something. Look, I made bread and cleaned up and... What if a government inspector or someone had stopped by here? I would have hidden, like I was. Dad was shaking his head. And leave them smelling bread baking in an empty house? You don't seem to understand, he said. You can't take any chances. You can't. Because... At that precise moment, the buzzer on the oven went off, sounding as loud as a siren. Dad gave Luke a dirty look and stalked over to the oven. He pulled out the two bread pans and tossed them on the stovetop. He flipped off the radio. I don't want you in the kitchen again, he said. You stay hidden. That's an order. He went out the door without looking back. Luke fled up the stairs. He wanted to stop angrily, but he couldn't. No noise allowed. In his room, he hesitated, too upset to read, too restless to do anything else. He kept hearing, you stay hidden. That's an order echoing in his ears. But he'd been hidden. He'd been careful. To prove his point, to himself at least, he climbed back up on his perch by the back fence and looked out on the quiet neighborhood. All the driveways were empty. Nothing moved. 
Not even the flag on the Gold's family flagpole or the spokes on the Birdbrain family's fake window windmill. And then, out of the corner of his eye, Luke caught a glimpse of something behind one window of the sports family's house. A face. A child's face. And a house where two boys already lived.